Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the first World Tour race of the year, UAE Tour Stage 1, Pancake Flat Sprint Stage, 184Ks, last 5Ks, all you really need to watch. The sprinters we have here, Philipson, uh, Elia Viviani, Damar, Sam Bennett with his new train, Groenewerken, as well as... Emil Schleipens, Cavendish with Merku. It's a real Sprinters Deluxe, and the GC's a little bit lighter than perhaps last year, although we still have Pogacar, Almeida, Yates, Dumoulin, and Co. and Jan Hit, of course. But Sprint Stage, Benji, what did you think Quickstep would try and do, given that they've basically sent Merku with Cavendish and no one else? Who, which train did you think would be the one to really take it up early? Was it FDJ or Bike Exchange or or who? Well, there's quite a few options here. Like you say, Merku is here indeed for a Quickstep, but they do have some riders that could be those riders that keep the train at the front, like in Ethan Vernon, for example, that we haven't seen ride for Quickstep yet, but is relatively strong when it comes to on track, and that honestly usually leads to being pretty good in a lead-out train. And next to that, they've once again got Stan van Trich, the same guy they had in one of the previous races, was it with Cavendish as well, I think, in the Tour of Oman. And next to that, Stan Stales. These are riders that can ride on the flat quite decently, but can they keep a train on the rails in the end? And that's where I agree with you, where that's a bit of a weakness for that team. I was looking at Bike Exchange as one of the teams that could be a team strong enough to keep their train near the front. They've shown it already that they've got a relatively decent train here with Campbell Seward, a guy we've seen already on the road this season in the Saudi Tour, if my mind serves me correctly. Caden Grove is usually a sprinter for that team. Now, most likely working out for Dylan Grunewagen, I was expecting, because Dylan is a faster sprinter, quite simple as that. Kellen O'Brien, also part of that lead-out train on paper, and Luca Mesgech. And combining all those riders, you're like, okay, these riders should be able to keep their train towards the front. You mentioned FDG, and I was not certain about it. I thought that team could keep the march to the front and so forth. But towards the end of last season, this exact crane, a uh, train, not crane, this exact train kept falling apart every now and then. And therefore, I didn't trust it completely. Was there a train like a Bora, for example, where you expected them to be at the front at a certain point? Well, yeah. Well, they've brought a mixed team Bora. They've got three guys for lead out, Mullen, Archbold, and Van Poppel, and then Conrad, Hindley, and Vlas over here for GC. So they don't really have a guy for three Ks to go, whereas FDJ, as you said, they it's, it's the train they've had for a long time. It was successful in Giro 2020, and it's not been able to keep DeMar close to the front in a lot of the recent races. There's also Dainese or Case Bowl at Team GSM. <laughs> Take your pick with there, as well as Olav Koy for Jumbo Visma. But he had Rosen and Van Emden to lead him out, and that's yeah. it. So he would he would struggle. When it comes to Alperson, did you expect that train to do? Because you're always highly talking about Jonas Rickard, and he was here for Philipson, together with the likes of Vermeers and Rob Stenner. Did you expect Stenner to be part of that train, or is Varagli, for example? Stannard definitely second last man, I think, is what they want from him. But it, it's a team of six riders. It is mostly all the lead out, though. So, but they struggled again. A lot of teams struggled to stay at the front. And I would say Bike Exchange uh, were the strongest. But yeah, cut to the chase. 
this ended up in a sprint. They were on a 50-kilometer straight the entire time, one of the straightest <laughs> roads ever. And FDJ, I think, got detached from Damar once again. Like they had two guys front. And we saw this last year. Like if you look at the overhead, Damar, the, the two guys are doing an okay lead out. If Damar was there, bike exchange, I would say, was the strongest overall. Ackerman did get brought up fairly well on the right-hand sides, I assume, by Richese. Philipson had Rickart in front of him. That's all he need. Cavendish was getting squeezed in the middle of the road. Groenewegen was fighting with maybe Barbier for Elia Viviani's wheel. He went <laughs> over to Cavendish wheel on the right-hand side. So there's two trains, and the whole time, like, where's Bora? As I said, they don't have a three-kilometer man. I think I saw Mullen drop his chain uh, when someone banged into him. This was a hectic finish, by the way, and it always is. First stage, they've cruised around at zone one for three hours, and there's all these <laughs> sprinters here wanting to get a world tour win. So it's always going to be hectic. And Danny Van Poppel does already one of the best leadouts of the year and may remain that way, bringing Bennett from absolutely nowhere with like, there were like 25 riders in front of him. They found a gap on the left, brought Bennett up, but Philipson had kicked early on the right-hand side, closes a bit to the barriers, and is just quicker than Bennett. Bennett, I would say, had, that's the thing, it looks like Bennett had the better lead out than Philipson, but you have to account for the energy cost of being brought so far forward through the pack with 500 meters to go. That has to cost something. But the big question, oh, who do you, do you think Dylan Groeneveg and Benji could have won this sprint? And yeah, just talk on the Philipson move a little bit because I know you have a view on, on this because Philipson started close to the barriers and then finished on the barriers. Honestly, it wouldn't have surprised me if Dylan Kronewegen won this sprint if the gap stayed open because the speed at which he was going towards Philipson's wheel, obviously in the draft, so you need to keep that in mind, was pretty significant. And he goes off that wheel of Philipson, there's a gap to go through on the right of Philipson at that moment, and he tries to pass through, but he's not exactly next to Philipson yet. While Philipson goes to the right, it's like their wheels are overlapping already, so... That's the point where, on paper, if you go to the right, you're basically endangering Grunewagen because you're closing him to the barriers. And if Grunewagen keeps sprinting, then he's in the barriers. So that's not very likable. Based on the rulings of the deviation rule this year, which were very strict, this is 100% a relegation for Philipson. Should it be a relegation for Philipson? What do you think if, if we do it based on last year? Uh, well, I mean, last year we complained <laughs> the entire year that it wasn't strict enough, so I, I don't want to change my tune. But Philipson starts his sprint and there's two rider widths, oh, one, a solid safe rider width between him and the barriers. Uh, there's also, I believe here, Benji, a gap in the barriers when Philipson opens up his sprint, which I'm not sure is permitted. Uh, so maybe something for the... The riders union to look into there and so when Gronewegen launches it, it's it's a small gap but it's plenty big for Gronewegen yeah. to get through and Philipson he just drifts right and because you know why he didn't get relegated Benji it's up behind it a, well a he's not NASA behind here <laughs> and b it's slow it's a gradual move over they never get done it's the sharp ones which get done 
Um, and Gronenwegen was mad afterwards, and I, I think he would have won. He was coming with the quickest speed. Yep. I agree. What do you think? I don't know. It, the thing is, a lot of people as well, myself included, like, well, you know, there's a wry smile seeing Gronenwegen complaining about being closed a little bit. But no, I disagree. I disagree with that standpoint because I tried <laughs> to see every single deviation in a bubble of its own making yeah, no, no. because otherwise you are like if you see buhani deviate and you judge him based on oh he's done deviations in the past obviously he's gonna get relegated but then someone else can do exactly the same the day after with a clean record and people are gonna be like but he doesn't do it let's not relegate that's not okay like because then you're basically keeping a clean record while he had a deviation and in the future you once again say for the same rider well they have a clean record in the past but no they deviated but just didn't get punished for it you know and also, just because Gronovegan, one of the worst moves ever against Jakobsen, that doesn't mean that people should be allowed to do that in future sprints all yeah. to him. Uh, but I did have a wry smile with him <laughs> complaining about it. because. But still, he had to back out. Like he, he put his front wheel in there and it got very, very tight. And Philipson, Benji Philipson nearly crashes in the last 15 metres. He goes yep. so close to the barriers. So... Anyway, enough on the relegation. Benji and I, I think, speaking for both of us, we think it should have been a relegation. If Rochese won the other days, then this certainly is. Uh, but Bennett, Benji, what do you think of the Bora lead-out and Bennett? Is Bennett just getting his legs under him? Was it too much effort to move up late? Because i got to say, Philipson absolutely toasted him in this final 10 seconds. So basically how I see the sprint in general is that we need to keep in mind that for every single rider that is riding their first race of the season, that it can be a bit rusty. And Bennett included, Philipson perhaps included as well. Who knows that the Tour de France, he might be sprinting faster than he is now. But looking at how the sprint started or was led up to, with 7k to go, we see them sitting at the back of the peloton, talking to each other like nothing's about to happen in 10 kilometers. And we see Archbold pointing at another rider kind of looking like he was explaining what they were going to do to his teammate in the latter part of this race. And Archbold shows that with his hand, like, oh, we're going to go by the side of the peloton. It straight up looked like that. I, I'm betting you 95% sure that Archbold was saying exactly that to his teammate. And he was showing that either on the right side or the left side. I can't really say what he was saying to, uh, to his teammate. And eventually Archbold was the one that tried to move up on the left, but he got blocked in because we saw that bike exchange was taking the entire peloton to the left side. So that didn't really work out. And I think it's a bloody miracle that Bora got through. So if they do this again in the future, not 50% of the time, this is not going to work. Like, You're right. they were too far too late. Quickstep moves up late, yeah, but at least they're in a competitive position with 5K to go because this was a bit, a bit very risky to make that move. But yeah, I think Van Poppel also found a gap in a way that he's, he was kind of lucky with the gap that opened up because other teams were trying to move from the left side to the right side and therefore a, a dangerous situation to move through. But he found the gap right in time and moved forward. So he was able to do it. And we'll have to see in the coming sprints if he can repeat that and bring consistency to the lead out for Bennett. Because if you do it once, this can be a great lead out, but doesn't mean you'll be able to do it every single time. So I need to see consistency there in the coming days to know whether Van Poppel is indeed able to adapt to the situation in sprints like we are knowing Merku to be able to do. And 
Then we see that sprint then, like you say, Philipson launched, I think, 1.5 to 2 seconds earlier than Bennett does. I went straight into MAF and I was like, okay, how many meters earlier does he actually launch? 70k an hour means 20 meters per second. So roughly 30 to 40 meters earlier, Philipson gets to the front and is in the wind compared to Bennett. And he's able to keep it at the line at roughly a tiny bit faster than Bennett is. So yes, there is definitely a difference there. But I also don't see this as a huge difference. It's like, this could just be the other way around in one of the coming stages. So I can't tell you if Bennett is much slower than last year or anything like that. We'll have to see it in the coming days. I need consistency to say that. When it comes to quick step, though, we saw Merkel at the front in the last kilometer and Cavendish was trying to find a good wheel or was next to Ackermann as well, trying to pass through and f find gas, but he indeed got squeezed in the sprint and... I would like to see a sprint where we also see Cavendish competing because today he really didn't get the uh, opportunity to, to be honest. But again, positioning is part of sprinting and it wasn't okay today. Yeah, I do have a, a word on Merku and, and Cav. Before we get into that, as a reminder, next Saturday, our show sponsor Zwift, uh, the provider to the UCI of the platform for the UCI Esports World Championships. They're taking place in Zwift's virtual New York world. It's a punchy course, and if you want a taste of it, there's wreck on rides all week. But if you want something a bit more conversational and social, there's our LRCP Zwift group ride on Tuesday evening, 6 p.m. UK time, 7 p.m. European time. That's in that New York world and yeah we'll have a q a join through the link in the, or the event description down below the discord as well so thanks to swift for supporting the podcast quick step benji merku he's looked a little bit rusty a little bit and i know early season but last year at uae he was kind of doing it solo with bennett and cav today i saw a little bit of the bahrain cav which i totally understand he got to a point where he's like, I can't win. There's guys going crazy throwing elbows in their bodies for fifth and sixth. And he's like, nah, I'm out. And he was getting squeezed and I totally understand it. So I saw a bit of that. I still think I still think he can win a stage here though. But here is that top 10. Philipson winning ahead of Bennett, Viviani, Gronovech and Leipinch for Trek actually fifth. DeMar sixth, caught behind on the right-hand side. Barriers, Cantor seventh, then Coy, De Vrindt, and Ackerman tenth. I want to talk about Olaf Coy for a second. He came up with a very similar speed as sprinters in that sprint, but he was able to get blocked because he seemed like... I don't know, there were like leadouts of other teams dropping back every single time, twice, and they were hindering him, had to stop start multiple times, two to three times. Just to call out, I do think that if Koi gets an actual run-in for a sprint and doesn't get blocked by leadouts left and right, I think he might be able to get a podium in a, a UAE Tour sprint right here based on the speed I saw today. But I do want to ask you, do you think that's something you can learn as a rider? For example, is that due to not having the right wheel or not having the experience to picking the right wheel that he's left up with riders that are lead outs dropping to the back and so forth that are blocking him all the time. Well, yeah, everyone knows the, the wheel they want to be on. Philipson was a good wheel to be on. People were trying to get onto Viviani's wheel. And if you're not on 
those two, and then there's Groeneveg and Demar fighting for them. They're huge guys. Leipinge is coming in. There was there's a lot of elbows and and fighting for wheels here. And you're right, like I think he even cop yeah he struggled with that. But it's compare that to Decker last year, Benji. Where Decker was bullying you in off wheels, but maybe it's good for. <laughs> Troy's career, you know, if you get a UE to a podium as a young sprinter on Yumbo, you might then have to lead out someone else at the Giro. So um, maybe <laughs> he best he doesn't do that. Uh, tomorrow, 176Ks. We'll do it all again. Al Hudirat Island to the Abu Dhabi breakwater. This should be a sprint. Today was inland, not too much crosswind action. Uh, should be a sprint again tomorrow. And I think Bora will come up a little bit earlier, Benji. I think there will be their plan is to come up at fifteen hundred with Mullen. I'm pretty sure. Can't, what what happened today can't be the plan. Yeah, and I think I they think can so. put Fieldson behind. I think Bike Exchange are coming up a little bit early. Actually, I agree, and I think that indeed that Archbold was trying to move up a bit earlier than when Von Bubble was moving up. If he does find that gap. That's certainly a possibility that they do it differently that time around. But yeah, when it comes to tomorrow, it's uh, it's once again a, a bloody flat sprint. I think it's finishing. I'm I'm probably wrong, but I think it's finishing in a, a place where they finished last year as well. But that's not really a surprise because most of the UAE top finishes are the same as last year. But uh, I'm curious if uh, if we'll see Cavendish be able to compete as well, if Hunwein gets a clear line tomorrow to be able to sprint for it. And if we can see a difference between the sprinters then, because right now I don't have a clear feeling on who is actually the fastest sprinter at this race yet. Exactly. I think it might even be Gronewegen, so we'll see him yep. tomorrow. Ackerman, he's going to be wanting to do better than top 10s, I think, in these sprints. So look yeah. for him to try and get at least into the top three tomorrow. But that was our UAE Tour recap. We'll be back with Andalusia Algarve this evening and maybe Alps Maritime. It's a quadruple header, but we'd get UAE out of the way. Back tomorrow for the sprint. Thanks as with for supporting the podcast. Ciao.